Today's episode of Undesign comes to you from the land of the Wajuk people of the Noongar Nation. We acknowledge and pay respects to all elders, past, present, and emerging. Have we started recording? Oh, cool. We're already recording anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Cheeky boy. <laughs> Hello everyone and welcome to Undesign. I'm your host Costa. Thank you so much for joining me on this mammoth task to untangle the world's wicked problems and redesign new futures. I know firsthand we all have so much we can bring to these big challenges. So listen in and see where you fit into the solution as we undesign the concept of social media and using it for social good. I'm sure you can all think of examples of content creators and influencers that say they want to use their platform for good. But what that good actually is, is not always clear. And we've seen a full gamut of responses to social media influencers speaking up about things that matter and to very mixed results. I think it's because we know how easy it is to brand wagon onto a social issue. Just look at the responses to Me Too or BLM. And we know how easy it is to do something or say something about those things without doing much more. I think it's also fair to say that audiences, as we get more comfortable on social media, We've become a little bit jaded by this concept of using social influence for social good. I think the elephant in the room here is that being a genuine advocate for social issues, while a good look, doesn't equal likes, subscribes, and sponsorship, kind of like the lifeblood of online content creation culture. In fact, being a genuine advocate for social issues can often equal being bullied off of the platform or worse, real-world harm. The other inarguable fact, I think, is that given the highly divided nature of communities everywhere right now for a number of reasons, we also know that this need to use our platforms responsibly and more pro-socially is perhaps needed more now than ever. So how do we do it? Or better yet, how are the real ones doing it? In this special episode of Undesign, we are taking a slightly different tack. Joining us for a first-hand account of their journey using social media for social good is Nader Nahti. So Nader is the founder of Benny, a multi-platform space for a truly multicultural, pluralist digital community to emerge. So Benny is like truly an audiovisual, spiritual feast of personal stories, conversations, and cutting-edge creativity. But most importantly, despite Benny existing in the ether of the internet, there is a tangible link to the offline worlds of communities whose stories need to be told. I've had the privilege of knowing Nader for years, and I know that he is not just an extremely talented filmmaker, producer, and presenter, but I also know how committed he has been to putting the social back in social media. And he really gives us the good, the bad, and the ugly of trying to do that. Given his background, the power of social media was a natural tool to be used in this lifelong mission to create community beyond the labels we were born with. But as with any noble endeavor, the challenges seem to outweigh the obvious benefits. So why bother? This is a deeply personal, introspective chat where some really hard truths emerge. But as is always the case with Nadir, these truths are no excuse for him to give up on his mission. And he generally shares with us his insights on what keeps him going and how others who are genuine about doing the right thing with their platforms can use their own online spaces to connect their creativity with their authenticity about the things they care about. All right, Nadir. Yo, my dear. Custom, welcome. Man, boy. <laughs> How are you? I'm, I'm good. I'm so glad uh, we finally got this happening. I know. I know. I guess what we'll be missing is the uh, absolute <laughs> tech fail yesterday when we tried to make this chat happen. So I'm so glad you Costa. stuck with me through all of that. <laughs> You're a man of many things, but definitely not a man of technology. But I still love you. Absolutely not. No, the, thank you. Thank you. And that's why you're in my community, because I can rely on you for things like this. <laughs> but man, it's such a privilege to be able to sit here and talk to you about a topic that I think is close to both of our hearts in very different ways, which is really about social media, but more the social side of it. And, you know, hopefully through this chat, we get to sort of unearth you know, what it means to actually use social media socially. And I think you're an amazing example of that. Oh, thank you. That's very kind. Oh, no, look, and I mean it. I've, you know, we've known each other for years and I've seen your work and your 
your and transformation. You just, you just couldn't find anyone else that would uh, spend an hour yeah. with you in the afternoon, basically. <laughs> I was just... Well, there's, uh, there's, no, there's no one else I felt comfortable sort of having a meltdown in front of. <laughs> <laughs> I, knew, I knew you would accept me for warts and all. So, you know, this is, this is just what friends do for each other, right? <laughs> You're very welcome. Thank you. But um, on that on that idea of friendship and community, I want to start this question off or this conversation off with a very simple question or a simple sounding question, which is, what does community mean to you? Oh, straight into it. Um, that's that's a big a big question. I think my first glimpse or experience with community was the one I grew up in. And I think explaining the context in which I grew up in is super important to kind of give you a better understanding of, of, of what shaped my understanding of community growing up. I am a London boy, born and raised. I am a child of uh, child of immigrants, but my mother came here when she was one years old from Pakistan. My father came here as a student in university and they, they met, you know, in their 20s and they stayed here. And, uh, and uh, it was a time where in London, both my parents are Muslim. Growing up in that kind of context, a British Muslim identity didn't really exist. Um, and my parents are quite prominent community activists themselves. And they were part of a group of people who were responsible for, you could say, um, carving out the British Muslim identity from the ground up. And the community wow. that we had around us were these uh, group of pioneers of prominent people and scholars and teachers and community activists who helped shape this identity and this community from from the ground up. Uh, and I was very fortunate to grow up in a, in a community that wasn't necessarily, um, you know, they say that like a, it, it, takes a, it takes a village to raise a child, right? And uh, we've yep. all come from kind of traditional historical communities from the countries that we uh, have ancestral roots from. But the kind of tribe or the village that they were building in this city far away from home wasn't necessarily defined by like a community of race or ethnicity or, or even religion in, in most circumstances. But it was a community kind of shaped and brought together by shared values and ethics and morals. And I had a very unique upbringing and community of people from all over the world and people of different shapes and sizes and colors. And it was a very cosmopolitan, eclectic community that I was born and raised in. And it wasn't until I grew up that I started to realize that actually this isn't the norm. This isn't right. This isn't the, like, the world doesn't operate in some sort of mono community where everyone has that experience. You start to interact and be exposed to people who were born and raised in very different communities with their own traditions and their own uh, idiosyncrasies and their own behaviorisms. And, uh, and then you start to learn that everybody lives within a certain community that has been defined for them within their kind of relative experience. So community and what that is, is very uh, relative to the person's experience and who they come from and, and the kind of variables that made them who they are. Um, but for me, community in a very simple way was about, it's something entirely definable and the community that you decide to live in and with, uh, my mom always said is that you build the community you want to be part of. And I was very fortunate to have parents who, who helped shape that around me in a very beautiful way. Um, so the community is what you decided to be. And, and right. that's how I learned community was growing up. That's amazing. And that's something I think we can all relate to in at least some level. And I feel like in conversations that talk about how divided societies are or like where we're seeing groups of people um, behave in certain ways uh, and we make judgments about it, we we make assumptions about what communities people belong to. Um you know, we have a very ethno-racial view of what a community is, but what you're offering really is something much more uh, genuinely multicultural and pluralistic at the same time. When, Definitely. I just want to, yeah, I just want to circle back to that question. Oh, sorry, that comment you made around when you first realized that, you know, you weren't raised in this monoculture. Is that something you, you can speak on? Like, was it a positive experience or was it a negative thing that brought that to your to your conscience? I think it was definitely like uh, it, it, just because it was challenging doesn't necessarily mean it was it was negative. It was incredibly positive for me, but it had its own challenges, right? Like um, I, all my grandparents are from different countries, so I'm part Indonesian, Kenyan, Pakistani, and Yemeni. So there was lots of these different cultural uh, cultural influences in my life. Um, London is where my parents met, 
So what happened was London was this kind of free-for-all in which my parents had to decide what was the cultural backdrop in which they would raise their children. And this is where they defined the community that they wanted their children to be part of, right? So this is what I mean when I say my parents had, they understood that they had agency to define that. And it was this unprecedented time of like first, second generation migrant culture where they could either fall back into the safety of those migrant communities in which are actually very closed uh, because they're far away from home. They kind of retreat into the, what they know a lot tighter and they, they, mm. they preserve certain cultural behaviorisms and, and, and don't want to engage with anything outside to protect what they feel is who they are. But my parents made a decision, an active decision to engage with the world around them and being like, hey, like our kids are going are, are born of something entirely different. So the community needs to be able to, to be there to raise them and facilitate them and nurture them to, um, to be ready for the world that they're going to be raised in. And I'm very fortunate and lucky for that. Was it challenging? Absolutely. I grew up like questioning who I was. Firstly, I will, you know, I'm British, but like, I, I, I look nothing like your archetypal British person. So popular culture didn't really have space for me. But um, at the same time, if I would try and find belonging in, in, in my cultural ancestry, I was also very different. I was very British. I was too Eastern to be Eastern, too Western to be Western. So you find yourself in this kind of quagmire of uncertainty and trying to figure out, like, is there a space that you belong to? Uh, and growing up, that wasn't so clear to me. Um, and it wasn't until later on in life that you start to have the confidence again to do the same things that your parents did, which was define the community for yourself as opposed to looking for it elsewhere. Yeah, right. Um, and I guess then, so it's interesting because we're talking about social media and we're talking about social and community and then media, which is kind of, you know, its own bunch of questions and considerations and it looks very specific in a modern context, right? Which we we both live in right now. Mm-hmm. Where can you explain where the me like where using media socially came into the journey for you through your own formulation of what it means to both be in a community and create a community? Yeah, I think um, I think it's a mixture of nature versus nurtured. I think like I was very lucky that both my parents were trained journalists. So there was kind of like a at home, there was an understanding of the media landscape. There was a kind of natural aptitude. And I was I was around a lot of different media or types of media. My dad ran a publication. So like understanding the importance of stories and a, a narrative and in kind of identity building. Uh, maybe I didn't understand it in those words before. But I think I innately had a uh, kind of awareness that uh, media could help shape senses of self. Um, and then uh, and then where the kind of nature came in was I just happened to be born in the time that technology had arrived to entirely disrupt how, can you, how humans communicate. And mm. it was the advent of social media. I guess I'm the transition generation. I remember when... I remember the 50k modem and I remember when it wasn't quite like it wasn't quite as easy or, or I remember not having a mobile phone and then I my generation kind of witnessed that shift into like the handheld phone and now everything was entirely interconnected. So what happened was is I'm witnessing the the birth of social media platforms when it was very ad hoc. There were less regulations, like uh, things were very, even communities that were built online were very real. They were very authentic. Uh, Companies hadn't really like caught up with the kind of wave of social media, didn't understand it. So they didn't interfere. So it was this really insane journey where you could connect with people. Whereas before you felt very isolated, you suddenly had this global audience in which you could connect quite intimately with. Um, and things changed every year very quickly and they continue to in this space. Um, and I, I think when I, what I realized was the power of this space was totally by accident. So right. what happened for me was I was working, I was at the UN in, in the Middle East for a while and, you know, uh, NGOs anyway are quite like dinosaur organizations in which they catch up to trends very slowly. I had been, you know, I, I just downloaded Instagram and I was like, enjoying this app because I was enjoying photography, trying to tell them that, hey, we should start like a social media department or something, but they weren't very interested. Anyway, I came back to London. I decided to do my own video, which I was like, you know what? If they're not going to allow me to do it, then I'll do it myself. 
I did a video and uh, it was basically a parody of Pharrell's happy song. I don't know whether you remember the song. Yes, uh, I, I sure do. Yeah. yeah. And then, <laughs> and then the 24 and then hour I, version is that, yeah, no, I didn't do the 24 hour version, but I did do like a three minute parody <laughs> of my own. And the idea was to kind of show a reflection of like uh, British Muslims at the time that was different and cosmopolitan and, 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 and the community that I grew up around. And then I posted it expecting maybe all my family to see it. So a thousand people, maybe I've got a big family. So a thousand would have been like mm-hmm. expected. Yeah. So yeah, right. <laughs> you, know, you know how brown families are. And <laughs> I posted it at 7 p.m. that night. It took me, it was really lo-fi. It took me about a week to make and edit and my first video that I ever did ever. And then literally 12 hours later, 7 a.m., it's got 1.4 million views. My phone That's is literally... Staggering batteries died and it's made me realize holy cow i'm getting interview requests academic report requests and people trying to chat to me about it and and it's insane from my bedroom i managed to connect to 1.4 million people worldwide on shared sentiment uh and 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 from that moment i just knew i'm going to leave my job and kind of dedicate my life towards this this space and this world do you i mean that like i've i you know i'm i've heard you say this share that before and i'm just so blown away just by the magnitude of something like that, do you have any insight into how you managed to get such a huge reach in such a short amount of time? Like, is that just kind of something that have you ever looked into just like what, how, how you actually achieved that virality, so to speak? Cause it just seems so yeah. unbelievable. Well, like looking back in hindsight, I think I have a bit more kind of like understanding of the space to understand the variables that might have led to it. But right. it was a mixture of things. So one, it was totally unprecedented. This is still a time where YouTube was like the wild, wild west. The cult of YouTuber didn't exist then. That's how early it was. So you could you, you could describe it as like YouTube 1.0. So this is like when YouTube was full of cat videos and like it wasn't really yeah. the cultural platform that we understand it today. Um, so it was just a mishmash of randomness that existed on YouTube. Um, right. But it was a very democratic space that anyone could be part of. Uh, so for that kind of video to be on that space, easily accessible to the world, wherever they may be, was a totally mm. new phenomenon. Number two, right. a lot of the people in it were people of my community. And like I told you before, because I had a privileged situation that my parents were very prominent people in the community, I had access to people who were quite like big figures, prominent figures, people of people of influence, um, yep. politically, socially, religiously, who I, who I had included in the video. So people were very shocked and surprised to see people of this magnitude dancing to a Pharrell happy song, which was totally like, it just blew their mind that you'd have like a mm-hmm. sheikh bopping along to like a certain song, etc. cetera. Um, and that was the kind of shock. That, but now, if that was to happen now, no one would bat an eyelid. But back then it was incredibly revolutionary and radical. Um, and so certain things like that helped kind of raise enough eyebrows and mm. and the fact that it was completely new and uncharted territory helped push it um, all over the, all over the internet. And then it was wow. wild, dude. Like, I, and then like like people, the Iranian people were ringing me, asking me if they wanted to do it in Iran, Chicago, and then people were replicating my video around the world. And like, um, and it was just insane to see like how much how much you could mobilize the world from your bedroom. And that was an incredibly liberating thought. Yeah. It's interesting because you. It sounds like you worked with your offline community to create this content, and then you ended up creating a massive, or at least the potential for a massive online community as well as a result of that. What was your journey like as a result of like what kind of follows after that moment? Because I know you've had quite a journey, and you know, like even just the the narrative of the content that you make or just the focus of your content, I can see a gentle evolution over time, but I just wanted to know what your, your take on your own journey is through the social media world. Was it something you went into thinking, I want to use this to build community or was this more of a, I want to do this because I think it it's cool to do, or I want to do this because this is just how I want to express myself. I want to do this to connect to others. Like what were, what were your, what were your deep intentions at that moment? Yeah, I think what, what you said in the beginning was particularly impactful for me because that's exactly what it was, was this amalgamation of offline and online. And like mm. what it was ultimately was bringing together all the variables of my life, my community that I was part of, 
um, you, my kind of understanding of the essence of my community and my spirituality and presenting it in a completely new way. That was the skill, right? Like there was nothing old, there was nothing new, sorry, about like what I was showing. It was only the means in which I was packaging it, which was this social media platform, um, which was the innovation, right? And that's what I've come to realize is my USP to answer your question, right? Like what is my kind of skill in this space is like understanding my community and like the, the beauty of it understanding the the essence and 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 what makes it tick in a really wonderful way a packaging it in the language of the day and the language of the day is social media it's media right. it's how people connect around the world and my kind of uh, competency and understanding how to present that information to people who maybe don't have much access or exposure to these kind of people but finding the dots and being able to connect them that's the skill and i think for young people mm -hmm. moving forward it's about the beauty of our communities exist. Everyone is part of a beautiful community in some form. Um, the skill is being able to translate that in a language, a global language, a digital language, to make it more accessible for people who might not have been exposed to before. So that's the USP. That's what we should be investing is these bridges. And, my, and I like to think of it as a bridge. So you be that bridge that brings these yes. disparate walls together. It's interesting. You're, you're kind of bringing to mind a conversation I had with another guest. Um, who created their own platform for indigenous writers in Australia for in a sort of a pass the mic kind of format. And just what he said was just this idea of actually there's a ton that is happening. Like when you want to talk about indigenous communities, you know, doing very empowering or, you know, being empowered to create things for themselves or to spotlight their own communities, there's actually a lot of stuff that's going on. And but it almost sounds like something similar in that you had a ready-made community or not ready-made, but, you know, you had a community that you were very entrenched in, uh, that you, you immersed in, that you then brought. You told your own story for once yeah. rather than yeah. people telling stories about you. Yeah, but, you know, like, yeah, and I, and I, and I agree. You know, what, hearing you say that, it makes me think, like, how much of what I do could only I do? because of the unique environment in which I grew up in, right? And I've been asking myself a lot, a lot of this question. The next question is like, how much of a responsibility as a result of the privileges that have been afforded to you, do you have to be doing the work that you're doing? And like, I'm very lucky. My parents were community activists. They dedicated their lives to like uh, forming a kind of British Muslim identity in the West. Um, and I grew up as a product of that. So I was exposed to things that I could argue majority of other pe young people my age weren't exposed to. And that was my privilege. Mm -hmm. I was exposed yep. to ideas, conversations, people of different inclinations, people of different religions, people of different ways of thinking. And this all helped shape me from a very young age. So like it's this experience to like, uh, actually it has nothing to do with my training, right? My training mm -hmm. came from this community that my parents built around me, which in turn enabled me to be doing the work that I did. So it's funny, we're talking about shaping community, but really we, what's really powerful is understanding how community shapes individuals to be in the space to be able to translate um, and, and innovate and create. And like, uh, uh, that's powerful for me to understand and acknowledge that I am a product of the people that came before me. So really the luxuries afforded to me are, are, are a result of the sacrifices of the generation that came before me. Right. That's powerful. And that's a, that's a, a big weight, I think for a young person to, to carry, right? Like to, you know, and I, you know, for better and for worse, you know, that's a big responsibility to take on to try and you know use those privileges as you say um you know for the betterment of the people around you and for others that may not have something to call a community you know and i guess that's where social media is supposed to sort of function in that space right like we we you know we talk about social media now oh well think about the difference in how we talk about social media then and how we talk about social media now what's the big difference for you as someone that's been on various different platforms telling yeah. different types of stories working with different types of people what what are the main things that have changed for you on how social media is used for those ends i think i think especially now we are living in a world where all of us have a certain competency around social media of varying degrees 
And I think like what what worries me right now, especially like living in the West, is that we're living in an age of of it's postmodernism where there are no objective truths anymore, right. where uh, people are being called out. Um, left, right, and center. People are afraid to voice true opinions or to share real experiences because of fear that they might be attacked for it or fear of retribution or vitriol. And it's quite a scary space. I, I, to be honest with you, I'm not entirely optimistic about where the social media space is right now. And that's just me being real, especially as a practitioner in it. Is of course. me myself as a social media person, I feel scared to share certain opinions. I feel worried to expose certain people to that audience that may or may, may or may not love them or may actually end up attacking them. Um, and it's tied up to where the world is as a result, as a whole. Where it's increasingly polarized. We're being pushed in a politically hostile environment. Communities are, uh, are being further entrenched in their own silos. Like mm. a social media is, is feeding that as well. Um, and what I'm feeling is that social media is becoming less of a place of sharing in an authentic place, as opposed to validating already problematic opinions that people might have about one another. And like, um, whereas a, it used to be a place where communities who might have lived very far from each other can feel like they have bonds and companionship and connection with people. Now it's becoming a source of, Hey, um, how far can we, or how much can we pull people down and attack them and, and, and hold people to account without any evidence or checks and balances or, right. or means of regulating this, this jungle that is social media. It's a scary space. Hey friends, Costa here. Sorry to butt in, but in this part, I'm just about to dive into some of Nadir's amazing work and I don't actually end up giving much context. So we thought it'd be worth me jumping in now and bringing you all up to speed by quickly explaining each of the projects I'm referring to. Firstly, there's the YouTube Creators for Change program, which is where I met Nadir. And this is a global program that was launched by YouTube to encourage and support content creators from around the world to challenge hate speech and bridge digital divides via their YouTube channels, with Nadir's being Benny, B-E-N-I. Through this project, he eventually released a video called Finding Nenek, his autobiographical video documentary about connecting with his Indonesian roots by traveling there and learning about his history via his beloved grandmother's story. Then there's the Benny Run Club or the BRC, which is a weekly run club where people get together in the real world and support each other in all of their sweaty vulnerability to push through obstacles and challenges together. Following this is also the Doppi Project, a project to help people understand the Uyghur and Uzbek culture by getting better acquainted with the skullcap used in each country. And finally, there is the Beni Caravansarai series, an online conversation series where travelers of all types, including Riz Ahmed of all people, converge in the digital world with others to share stories, ideas, and perspectives learnt on their journeys. It's really hard to convey just how beautiful and wonderful these projects are. So I just encourage you to go see them for yourselves via our show notes. Okay, now back to the chat. Is it fair to say that you, that that shift in your own attitude towards social media has resulted in the evolution in your of your content as well to be where it is right now? So like if we start from where we met, which is the YouTube Creators for Change campaign right which was still probably more that uh traditional social media content creation kind of model where it's about broadcasting messages we want out there in the world to make you know what we think will make the world a better place and then you know you know then you did that beautiful documentary finding nenek which was really more of a personal exploration around your own history and you know understanding the story of it's the indonesian side of your family right yeah Yep, absolutely about that in my Indonesian grandma. Yeah, and so uh, yeah, I will put the link in the show notes because it's just so exquisite. I've, I, I love it. And but then you know, I, I at least for me as someone that's followed your stuff for a long time now, like you kind of went from telling stories to really sort of again, I feel like you've demonstrated different ways to mobilize people or to create spaces for people to come together using your social media. You know, you've got the Benny run club and you've set up very physical ways for people to come together in their locations, yeah. um, to, you know, relieve stress, to connect with one another. Again, that's an offline community that you've created. 
you've got the Doppy project, you know, and again, that's a really beautiful project that again, that you're using that platform to, to spotlight are people who are very marginalized and yeah. persecuted right now. Um, and the other example I had was, you know, the Caravanserai series, which you had started during lockdown, right? Where again, you're bringing people on, you know, using that beautiful concept of the caravan um, and a meeting place wherever travelers cross paths to come together and sit and listen to each other. So for me, I've seen that evolution in your content. Was yeah. that a very deliberate choice to kind of pivot towards those sorts of content or was it quite natural for you? I think um, anyone thinking about community and social media should understand that like, and I'm talking from experience, not from a, from a pedestal because I'm still learning. So like for me, like my own learning has been that this whole space is a journey and it's a step-by-step process. I've always understood the power of offline community because I was born and raised in one. And my house has always been a center point of offline community with people coming in and out and, and offline events, et cetera. But I started my online world because I realized that there were people who weren't privy to the privileges that I might have grown up in, an open, uh, safe, liberal space that people can be who they are and, and feel safe in it. So I started telling stories and I was getting frustrated because a lot of what was existing in the online space was more was telling people what to do um, mm. or criticizing the world as it is without providing an alternative reality of how things could be, right? So it's very easy to deconstruct, but how are we providing examples of communities lived or idealized communities that we want to be in? And there were very little examples of that, right? And that still exists today. And it's my, my biggest problem today is that all that exists on social media is people tearing each other apart or criticizing society as it as it is right now without providing alternatives in which we can imagine and look forward to or aspire to right yeah so for mm. me everything that i started with benny and my own personal work was about how do we create avant-garde arts or futurism or, or an idealized future to work towards so that young people could start building the waypoints to get out of the kind of darkness in which they're living in today and start aspiring for something a lot more open and, and, and meaningful and, and, and that brings people together. So I was like, instead of telling, and I've never told people what to do or what to think, all I do is show my experience and show how my family and my community, how we go about doing what we do. If it doesn't vibe with you, cool. I'm sure there's another platform that does, right? Yep. But mm. all I'm going to do is show you how we do our things um and hopefully if it vibes with you you're welcome the door is open so with the offline stuff i started to realize okay i have now credibility online i had like you know people start to consider me as someone of influence um i had the credibility in the online space but online community as good as it is and how beneficial it is never really replaces the impact that an offline tangible connection has right yeah, and as absolutely. a child of as a child of activists like I understand that like real works happens on the grassroots in your community, right? Mm -hmm. So how could I funnel this online credibility into real work grassroots activism without making young people feel like they're being preached to? Now, people think the best, I have this run club and Costa mentioned it. And basically like on the outside, it's a run club. It's basically gets people together on a Wednesday evening at 7, at 7 p.m. every week. Uh, and on the outside, it just looks like people coming together and running. Actually, running is the most inconsequential, insignificant element of the whole experience. What it is, the run is the bait to get young people together to start forging tangible, meaningful relationships with each other. That is that is vulnerable because when you're running, the metaphor of a run is that it, it really attacks you internally, right? You're sweating, you're doubting yourself internally. And what happens is you start to unravel, you start to open up to the people around you where you start to share in this collective pain of the run and you create amazing relationships. And as a result, it blossomed, it grew very quickly. The relationship started to, you know, really kind of get really strong very fast. Um, but that was the kind of like innovative community offline gathering that I wanted to experiment with. And there were lots of things that worked about it. And there were lots of things that didn't work about it, that I learned about it. Sure. Um, and and, and uh, what I've come to learn is, is that that whole experience is that you can. You can, if you have a significant online ex online following and uh, and you use social media as your, your work, you can leverage it into meaningful offline work. Um, and that for me was incredibly liberating because it, 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 it felt a lot closer to home to be able mm. to do these offline events. 
Um, and it was really important for me as well, because like, it was about creating things that weren't just about me, right? How do I leverage this narrative into a bigger picture, a bigger community picture? And, and, and I always say, whatever I do is experiments. Some things work about it. Some things don't, but like, it was, I'm very grateful for that whole experience and that learning curve. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, just to, uh, to circle back to your idea of like the significance of the run, it, for me, the thing that comes to idea is when you're running, you're actually on a journey of some sort, which is the word you 100%. use to describe your social media outlook, your your orientation. So, you know, while it's not about you, it's very true to you and authentic to your your interests or your your way of expression, which brings me to my next question really around some of the challenges you face as, you know, again, not to put you too front and center, but as a linchpin, as a, as a community mobilizer yourself using your online platform, how do you navigate the boundaries between you, the creator and you, the person? Cause I, you know, I've also seen some of your more recent posts regarding questions about personal life or uh, your, your opinions on certain things that are happening in the world and whether you should or shouldn't share those things. And I, you know, and I really respected the fact that you put that out there where you're like, well, there are certain things about my life that I don't talk about. Yeah. Yeah. How do you navigate that balance without sacrificing your authenticity, I guess? Right. I think what's um, deceptive about the online space is that people start to feel like they, they know you and thus have ownership over you and like have a right to know everything about your life. Right. And mm-hmm. I think, um, uh, that can be, you know, if people follow you over a period of three, four years, um, you know, you're sharing parts of your day, like, like, you know, even if it's just 10% of your day, people start to feel like they, they can carve like perspectives on who you are. And I think it's really important once like, uh, really important to preserve certain things that are very sacred to you because not everything is, should be commodified, right? Like there are parts of me, which I'm willing to share, but there are parts of me, which are for the people closest to me and, and myself ultimately. And I think um, delineating that defin- that 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 separation has has been a learning curve over a period of time. But ultimately, what I've come to learn is that like the public space is very fickle, and and these people aren't invested in you in the same way that your neighbor is, right? Or someone who you're born and raised with. And don't get me wrong, I love the people that like who follow me and find my work inspirational and etc. But like, I don't know whether these are the same people that are going to be uh, uh, propping me up on my backs against the wall. Right. And like, and like, if that's the case, then why share your most intimate parts of yourself with people who perhaps weren't invested in it in the very beginning in that depth in the first place. So it's about preserving certain elements of yourself for your own protection. And really it's about protecting yourself, right. From, from, from being hurt or being uh, let down by certain people. And then, and this online space is, uh, it's difficult to talk about because like you talk about it and it it sounds like a or oh, first world problems kind of thing right but like by virtue of being someone that people follow and people take interest in you mm-hmm. enter into like a class or you enter into like or you have a product that not many people have so by virtue of having many followers or or, ha- or people taking note of what, or, of what you do and taking interest in it is that you also become a target, mm. right? So what happens is, is that people start to watch your every move and scrutinize like waiting or waiting rather for a moment for you to put a step wrong. For right? a gotcha moment. For a gotcha moment. Why? Because there's nothing we love more than a success story than someone from the top being torn down, right? And your relationship with this space is you love it and you're so grateful for the people that have helped you kind of do what you love, but you're almost on the precipice of a cliff because you know at any point someone could throw an accusation or someone could like just, I don't know, misread something or someone could just not like you for a certain reason and do their best to kind of, and it's happened, it's happened to me. I was going to say, is that something that you've experienced personally? Oh yeah, 100%. I think like 90% of people in this space will experience something along those lines, right? Which is why I say to people starting in it is like, if you're going to start in this space and like the best preparation you can make for yourself is internally, right? It's about like fortitude of the self and your ego and all that kind of things. And like, um, and and why are you doing this in the first place and understanding that some people are not going to like you and and like if they criticize you, then you have to have to accept that and like, 
um, and all those kind of things. So you you learn to do that. So you, what happens is we call it hasad in Arabic or or ain evil eye, right? And we right. believe in it. It's oh, like yeah. people and people people will um, people will have or they they will wish less well on you yeah. as a result of the position that you might occupy. And this isn't only online either. And like I witnessed, even with the run club, there were like there, there were lots of difficulties that arose with it. And like uh, this is why community leaders, and I'm sure you witness it, Costa, is that like you as a community leader will know your intention of of wishing the best for this community and trying to like give your life to them. But there were people that will always doubt your intention or your methods. And like and, and and what it does is undermine the sacrifice that you have done. Um, and it's hard. It's hard to brunt that. But this is why community leaders, and I witnessed them with my own parents, is that community leaders have to have the biggest shoulders, the broadest shoulders, not only to lumber the the future of their community, but also lumber the traumas and the insecurities of the, of the community in which they're serving, who potentially may be the ones that attack you as well in the future. Yeah. Right? So, like... That's what tests your resolve in community in community activism. I've seen it with my father. I, I I blame a lot of my dad's illnesses to the heartbreak he suffered as a result of the community that he served himself. Right. But mm. you, as a community leader, you have to you have to shoulder the yeah you have to shoulder the aspirations of the future, but also understand that this same community that you're serving might be the people that attack you in the future as well. And like, how are you going to reconcile that? Which is, I guess, where intent becomes so important, right? Because if your intent really is one of service and one of selflessness and altruism or whatever it is, then there is a certain level of accepting a, a level of risk that is associated with being prominent, trying to steer a conversation that affects lots of people or, you know, um, you, you do things not for the cookie that you get, but for the effect that it ultimately has in the long term, right? And some people may not necessarily have that same vision as you, but you're putting yourself out there to be tested and to be tried. Um, and yeah, that's I mean, tough. I, like that, that takes a lot of resilience. 100% or rather like in, in my learning with like what I put out there is like, I'm not telling you what to do. Like I'm not going to hear on my moral high horse and tell anyone what to do because everyone's yeah, variables yeah. are completely unique. All I'm going to do is share my experience. This is my experience because no one no one could criticize my experience, right? Because it's ultimately the world that I live in, and it's it's mine, right? So I share stories that are relative to me, and it resonates with people. But I'm not going to sit here and go on a half an hour tirade about like why society is like crumbling and and who's failing and who's letting us down and and attack 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 because like you know that doesn't provide me an alternative to look forward to, right? That doesn't provide a a, a map, right? And for me, this is like this is where I kind of am frustrated with modern day activism, is that like it, it what we've done is create an industry around activism, when really, from what I understood growing up, to be an activist was basically working until your job was obsolete, right? But what happens now, and this is interesting with social media and, and the correlation, is that people have built platforms, activist platforms, on the problem itself. So you're only being heard and being algorithmically rewarded with engagement as much as the problem exists. As soon as the problem starts to get lessened, your engagement drops. So your significance in this space drops. So really, how much are we as activists invested in the solving of the problem to the point where our voice doesn't need to be heard anymore? Yeah. If that makes sense, right? And for yeah, me, absolutely. And for me, I'm just trying to I'm trying to build a world in which I don't need to be part. I don't, I don't need to say the things I need to say anymore. Like, like, uh, uh, and, and ultimately that's why like, I just want to share my experience and the way that my community operates. And like, if it resonates with people and it's something that you want to be part of welcome. But like, if it doesn't, then that's cool. I'm sure there is another space that like fits your needs and I'm really happy for you. And uh, I hope you can be, and uh, you know, I want us all to eat. It might not be at my table, but I want us all to yep. eat. Um, yeah, and that's you know, the that's kind of such a, that's absolutely, and that's such a common. Again, just this conversation is such a reflection or a summation of some of the other conversations I've had before, where it's just this real sense of space for some and space for all. You know, where sometimes 
there are certain groups that are dictated by needs to have a space in order to meet those needs together. And then there are times where we are all in this together and learning how to navigate, you know, the place for you and the place with others is really difficult, you know, and that, and again, just hearing you say all that, it just reflects back like, man, you know, um, yeah, there's no guarantees who comes into your space, I guess, with social media, right? Whereas with an offline space, you know, we're limited by our meat sack bodies and, you know, this, you know, this, you know, just the, the, the limits of, uh, being human and being alive and being blood and blood and water that, um, we can make those calls a bit easier about who people physically are. We can read so much more on in the online space. Um, that's much harder to control. Um, and you know, like even just my experience of your content is one of like, man, I wish I was hanging out with his family, you know, or like his friends look so cool. Like I can understand for someone else. And I say that as someone that is, has a very rich social life, a family, amazing friends, you know, very fortunate people that I've known my whole life. And again, like you, and I think this is where we have share affinity. That's it's this idea of not necessarily belonging to the community that we were born into, but the ones that we created for ourselves. I, you know, for me, that hasn't been social media for me, but yeah. you know, I still work with a lot of people that use that platform and you've been able to use technology and media to, to at least share that with others or create some with other people as well. And, you know, we've, we've just been talking about sort of authenticity and credibility or whatever of the creator. Can you share anything about how you, what you've learned over time about your audiences and how, like what, how you actually impact them or their sense of yeah. community or anything like that? Yeah. So like by virtue of me sharing my experience, what it does is, and not moralizing and not like, idealizing and saying how this is how it should be by virtue of just authentically sharing my experience it shows people that there's an alternative way of being right maybe they people are disgruntled with you know uh, maybe some people live in some i don't know their conservative society and 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 they always thought that this is the way that you do things but then they see someone that looks like them and someone who believes in the same things that they believe doing something in an alternative way that feels more aligned to their kind of innate morals and, 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 and nature. And what it does is starts to incept the idea in that person that there is an alternative way of being. And that's enough. Like that's, that's, that's all I can hope for, um, is, is that people feel that they resonate with a certain lived experience that feels more natural to them. And if they implement that in their life, then I'm happy. Like, like, um, but for some people, it might not be applicable. Maybe they live in certain societies where it's not appropriate or whatever. But sure. the majority of the messages I get is that people just feel very like, you know, they're so overjoyed and elated and they feel so invested in my in my family, like people who follow mm. me. And I, I, oh, I totally. And I appreciate that so much. Like it, that means the world to me. Why? Because they realize, they realize that like this is a wholesome, authentic, cosmopolitan, diverse world that we are part of as a result of the sacrifices from my parents and my grandparents and so on um that is culminated into this life that me and my sister are very lucky to be part of don't get me wrong it's not perfect at all by any means but yeah. the things that make it unique and special which is the in intercommunal relationships the 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 dependency and the love shared between everybody and just like the fact that it's from people of all different races and ethnicities and religion people see that and be like hey in a world of such like polarized angst and hates and like people so divided and not being able to like see outside their own communities here's a group of people who um seemingly like are beyond that right and 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 I and I grew up I, I did grow up in that environment and I'm proud of it and like if I want to share it I will share it and like if people can resonate with it then I'm very happy about that and like um and I feel really touched when people invest in our family emotionally in that way and like it means a lot yeah. to me. I think what's clear to people is that your family is important to you. So if they're invested in you by virtue of that, they're invested in your family because because of how much you in how much you share the lens with them at least in the last couple of years as well and how much of an insight you've let into people you've let people into your that part of your personal life anyway yeah. I, I mean like like the family the fa foreground yeah i mean the family the family is your first community right so yeah. really like 
like like I ask myself really like uh, how sincere is my effort in the community if I'm not willing to build the building blocks within my own family which is the which is my first community right like the like really ultimately like if your house is dirty who are you to go outside and start telling people to clean their own houses right so like you know your, your house better be clean and like for me like making sure that the family unit is strong and healthy and like um um and uh, interdependent is crucial because that filters down to your work in the future trying to increase that community uh, bracket to encompass more people is that um you know it, it has to be consistent on every level and like um family is really close to me and and that love trickles out and that compassion at home trickles out to other people and they feel it our house is a family house but all my friends come here, even when I'm not here, they hang out with my family, they chill out here as if it's their own place. And like, like it's because the foundations of the home are strong enough to encompass more people that they feel welcome in it as well. And they can share in that love as well. So community starts at home, community and charity starts at home and it, and it, it trickles outside of that. Um, and that's key. That's been a key learning for me. Yeah. Well, I guess kind of as we kind of start to sort of emerge out of this really deep, reflection on what it means to be in a community and you know how the online world shapes that what's next for you at the moment it's a good question i i really i really want to give you something really positive and like uplifting and inspiring but like it, what, I'm, what i'm saying is that it might not necessarily be so yeah sure sure <laughs> and just to kind of be as real to you as possible is that i am very concerned Right. I am I'm very concerned about where the world is right now, where young people yeah. are and the social media space as a facilitator of of a lot of angst and animosity and faux wokeness and 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 people and, you know, cancel culture and et cetera, et cetera. It's deeply concerning. And I think we're living in deeply fractured times and technology has hit a zenith to the point where, like, it's further disenfranchising people away from each other. Um, and I am myself. I can speak for my own side for my own self, I don't feel as liberated to share on my social media as I would have two or three years ago. I don't because I, I feel like every little thing is being scrutinized to the upteenth amount where people have lost the ability to be really truly themselves because people don't think the best of people immediately anymore. It's how can I attack someone to validate my own experience instead of opening people in open arms. So in this context, what is the future for me? Again, it's about, it's about sharing my unique experience because no one could criticize me for that um i think for me personally i'm starting to realize the value in in um in my my community it's not the size that matters it's the quality of it by virtue of social media and how it's shared online you can hit scale mm -hmm. so for yep. me i want to personally focus on a small community that will be around when my kids are, around, are, are born, um, people who will, you know, be the community of my future, invest in that community, share that experience with people around the world. And if they want to, if they like it and if they want to be mm -hmm. part of it, great. If they want to create little similar things in the way that we organize little BRCs or little get togethers in their house, or if they want to, then great. Like hopefully I've provided a waypoint into how to kind of create this world that we we're also living. Um, but no way do I want to live in a world that's moralizing or, or criticizing. I just want to live or start building an idealized positive world for mm. my kids to be born and raised in. So, right. so again, community starts at home. I can share that online to hit scale. And if it vibes yep. with people, great. If it doesn't, then awesome. It's similarly well, great. It's, like a, it's still yours. Yeah, exactly. And it's still yours. And it sounds like, you know, perhaps one good lesson here is to really understand social media as, or, you know, perhaps we need to renegotiate our relationship with social media as instead of one as a destination, but one as a facilitator of experiences, of ideas, of connections with people, right? Where that's, you know, it's inherent in the word media. It's in the middle of it's mediating different influences, different parts of society. And, what you're saying sounds very much like, okay, well, the focus for you is to use it for its facilitating abilities to facilitate a future for people to, to step into or to inherit, um, to facilitate ideas of how other people can um, do something similar in their space. I guess maybe just as some closing remarks, um, 
what would you say to people that are you you know that feel like they're on the start of a content creator's journey but not you know not just for the the clout and the the likes but for wanting to do something productive with their space and wanting to use it for a greater purpose yeah no that's a great question and a lot of people ask me this is it's a lot harder now to start a social media platform than it was a long time ago um what i would say is that it needs to it's very difficult to not be swayed by what works online and what doesn't a lot of people chase the engagement that the message gets lost right and i think what you need to focus on is really owning on what your intention is. Like, why am I getting into this space? Write it on your ceiling, write it on your wall, remind yourself every morning, like, this is why I got into this space and create from an authentic space that, that works with you. And like, remember that every piece of content has to reflect that original vision. Where the ingenuity comes and the innovation comes is understanding the landscape. And things are changing even from when I started. This whole TikTok thing, like, yeah, that's like, crazy to me i don't i TikTok don't understand is bananas it, right? TikTok is bananas <laughs> so totally i bananas. love i love watching it but yeah. it is it, it's uh, yeah I, i'm speechless when i think of TikTok. but yeah exactly and like we're young we're still fairly young guys and like uh, for yeah, me like right TikTok makes me feel like i'm ancient right so it's about understanding that every generation has its medium and its methodology yeah. like the videos in which time. i created yeah absolutely and like the videos i might have made at my time might not be applicable to today, but you, what you need to do is intention, but also the excellence comes in your understanding on the methodology of the day and then connecting those dots. So like, okay, so like I said about this idea of a bridge, you're the bridge between intention and meaningfulness and community with the medium of the day. So with my dad, mm -hmm. it was publications and it was newspapers right. and all that kind of stuff. With me, it was social media and Instagram and YouTube. And for the next generation, you need to understand whatever medium or methodology that it is and be amazing at it. Nothing replaces being good at what you do, ultimately. And like, not to blow my own horn, but like my videos were good, right? Yeah, like yeah, it, it, yeah. Resonated, it resonated with people. If they weren't as good, I probably wouldn't have like, you know, been invited to certain places or like enjoyed some of the things I'm enjoying today. So you have to be good at what you do and like invest the time in that and um, and the irony is, last thing I'll say, is that in order to build community, you need to be part of a community, right? Like, I've only got anywhere as a result of other people supporting me, facilitating me, people like yourself thinking about me, right? Like, like who, like who are we to think that we can build community without investing in other people's ones? Of course. Right? And like, this is where this idea of co-creation, co-dependence, but understanding that the pie is big enough for all of us, that mm. every community can thrive in a really meaningful way. And like, I uh, I really believe in that because you put in, you you get out what you put in ultimately, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So share, like, in, you know, uh, I, people always like to, I always tell people, don't invest in the technical skills. They'll come later. Just put the time in. What you should be investing is the social skills, right? Like Costa, I met you once, but you felt like a brother immediately. Right. Yeah. Right. Like other people you come across, like connect with these people meaningfully. Like if these people are, you know, they're sharing the same ethos and goals and morals as you, like preserve these relationships. Right. Like they're the best investments you'll make. And then you'll see, you'll see your community thrive as a result of that. Um, and yeah. That's a really beautiful note to sort of end on. And I guess it's a really nice thing to reflect on that. I'd say even like our connection is the epitome of what we want to be able to use social media for, right? Where like our, our, our relationship is primarily over social media now as a result of distance. And that's an, that's an amazing thing to be able to have. Obviously I look forward to the day where we can be in the same country again, and hopefully that's <laughs> sooner too. rather than later. But Nats, thank you so much for such an, like, as always an amazing thought provoking <laughs> discussion. Um, I, hope so, man. I love I you so messy. much. Not at all. No, it was beautiful. But um, just for those who don't know where to find you and have not experienced your amazing uh, content yet, where can people find you? Yeah, if you just you can you can find me on on Google, Instagram. If you just write my name, Nadir N A D I R dot Nadi N A H D I, and then all the links will be there on Instagram. But um, it's amazing. Yeah. All right, thank you so much. Have a wonderful oh, me. rest of your day. Appreciate you, Costa. You too, man.
You have been listening to Undesign, a series of conversations about the big issues that matter to all of us. Undesign is made possible by the wonderful team at Draw History. And if you want to learn more about each guest or each topic, we have curated a suite of resources and reflections for you on our Undesign page at www.drawhistory.com. Thank you to the talented Jimmy Linville for editing and mixing our audio. Special thank you to our guests for joining us and showing us how important we all are in redesigning our world's futures. And last but not least, a huge thank you to you, our dear listeners, for joining us on this journey of discovery and hope. The future needs you. Make sure you stay on the journey with us by subscribing to Undesign on Apple, Spotify, and wherever else podcasts are available. 